Well, good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to worship with you. Thank you, Brett and worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here. And I want to say a special welcome to those who are maybe new to us this morning. Thank you for being with us. You are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week. And as, a, as our guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Thank you again for being our guest this morning. And kids, it's always good to see you all here at church on Sundays. It's, uh, it's good to hear about your weeks. And, and I want to just um, mention Football Sunday. You saw in the announcements that we're going to host the middle school football team here on October 8th. We've invited the team and their families to join us for worship, and then we're going to feed them hot dogs and, and chips and drinks and desserts and all kinds of fun stuff. And I think some of the middle school uh, boys on the team are excited about maybe us overcooking hot dogs and having a, a hot dog eating contest afterwards or something. I think Cooper's had some thoughts about that with them, and I would, I would, see, I would watch that. I don't know if y'all are up for that, but if we have some extra hot dogs, be prepared for a... Uh, hot dog eating contest. And kids, if you want to join them, I think that'd be fine. Um, but I, wanna, I, want, I want you kids to, to, to feel free to come dressed up along with your parents or grandparents and all the adults, really, to dress up in your, your favorite Patriot attire for the school. If you've got a favorite football team that you've got a jersey for or whatever, if you play football and you want to wear your jersey that day, uh, it's going to be a fun day and we want to welcome that team uh, to our church, and so feel free to wear your red, white, and blue or your, uh, your favorite football stuff, so it'll be fun. Uh, kids, it's good to see you here. You're going to be dismissed to Kids Church. Uh, go on up to, uh, to the lobby and, and be dismissed for that. Kids Church is for kids in kindergarten through fifth grade, and parents and grandparents, you'll be able to pick them up in the lobby after our service is over. We're continuing in our series in the letter of First Timothy, this is um, titled in this gospel-centered godliness, being the church in the community. And this morning we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. As we study through this letter, I want to keep our focus on the call to godliness that's throughout this letter. It is mentioned ten times. It's a reoccurring theme in 1 Timothy. And we are seeing that this call to godliness is for Timothy. It's for church pastors, and it's ultimately also for church members. This call to godliness is for the sake of the gospel. It's a call to the church and its leadership to live and worship in a way that proclaims the gospel to each other, to the church, and to the community around them. Now, it's important to note that this call to godliness is in response to our salvation. It's not a cause of our salvation you and I cannot work our way to God. We cannot. That's not the gospel. That's not what's in Scripture. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved to do good works, to live a godly lifestyle, and to proclaim the good news and share the faith that we have with others. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15 this morning. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women to profess, who profess godliness 
with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's pray in response to what we just read. God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. You speak to us in every page of this Bible, and sometimes what you say to us is easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we like what we hear. Sometimes we don't. But Lord, I thank you that you speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what it is you're saying here in this passage this morning. We thank you ultimately for Jesus. We thank you for his salvation for us. And we pray in his name. Amen. So let me give you a little bit of backstory in the Southern Baptist Convention. That's, that's the church we are, a Southern Baptist church. The Southern Baptist Convention has recently drawn a line in the sand about the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning, and that's gender roles in the church, as outlined in the Bible. Now, you may have heard of Rick Warren in Saddleback Church over in California. He's the founding pastor, and he recently, he recently retired from Saddleback. And as they were looking, I can't imagine who, who replaces the guy who who was the founding pastor of one of the largest churches in America. And I think he was known as America's pastor for a time. And I don't know how you replace that um, outside of God working through all that. But, but anyways, Saddleback ended up uh, finding um, a husband-wife pastoral team to replace him. And, and somewhat controversial in the Southern Baptist Church, um, Saddleback is a Southern Baptist church, or up until this year they have been, and maybe you didn't know that. They, they don't have that in their name, but they have aligned with the Southern Baptist Convention ever since they started. Um, last year, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention severed its affiliation with Saddleback over this newly um, installed and ordained husband-wife pastoral team. Uh, Rick Warren defended the church's practice in front of the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention this year. And the Southern Baptist um, Convention confirmed its stance that the practice that uh, Saddleback took was not taught in the Bible. And so Saddleback wasn't the only church to be uh, cut from the Southern Baptist Convention. There was a church in Louisville. Uh, they had a female senior pastor for near 30 years, for a very long time. And, and, um, and so this is sound of, of what has happened in our denomination, considering what we're going to look at here in 1 Timothy we're going to explore the words of Paul here as it pertains to gender roles and to try to understand why the Southern Baptist Convention has drawn a line in the sand like they have. As your pastor, I want us to follow God's word. Not large churches. I don't want us to follow denominations. I don't want us to follow cultural fads. I want us to have our authority in the Bible and practice what the Bible says and Personally, I've looked at this issue very closely because I have a wife and two daughters who are all actively serving God and this church this morning. My wife is in the nursery this morning. My oldest daughter was up here serving on the worship team. And my youngest daughter, she comes with me every Sunday early and sets up kids' church. And she's up in kids' church this morning. And so 
I love my wife and my daughters very much, and I want for them probably what you want for your family, and that's a life without limits. And if there are biblical limits placed on how women, uh, who are our grandmothers, our mothers, wives, daughters, sisters, and so on, if there's limits in the Bible on how they serve, I think it's important that we explore what they are and why they're there. And that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. But first, there's some other things in what Paul is writing to Timothy. Let's quickly cover a couple of issues that pop up in verses 8 through 10. Paul begins this section with the verse in eight. In verse 8. I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger, or quarreling. Now remember, this, this letter was written to the pastor of the Ephesian church. Paul is writing here on the proper way for, us, for them and for us to worship together. He tells Timothy that men should pray with holy hands without anger and fighting. Why would Paul say this? Probably because there was fighting and quarreling in the church among the men. Men, we are geared to fight, aren't we? Dads especially are geared to fight, especially when it involves righting the wrongs as we see them. Paul tells us in the church that we are to pray with holy hands, hands set apart for God's service, that we shouldn't quarrel and be angry with each other. We, shouldn't, we should let God reign in the church and allow him to fight for us, to right any wrongs, as he sees it. First Timothy is a call to godliness for the sake of the gospel. And men who are angry and quarreling inside the church aren't doing it for the gospel generally. Praying with hands set apart for God's work is gospel-centered. Let's look at the next two verses. This is verses 9 through 10. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Godliness stays in focus here with Paul's call for women to themselves with good works, not seductive appearances. Paul is not necessarily forbidding braided hair, chains, or nice clothes. He is forbidding the use of these in a ways to enhance the beauty for the sake of seduction in the church. Now, this is a call for all ages, for sure, but it's particularly difficult for younger women and for teenagers. If I could speak to our students for a moment, our students, our student ministry, and even our church, we should not be known in town as the church with the hottest girls. That shouldn't be our reputation. I don't know that it is, but... It shouldn't be. That shouldn't be what we strive for. We do have beautiful young ladies in our student ministry who express their beauty and love for God and their service to Him. Godliness and good works produce real beauty. Godliness and good works produce real beauty. And guys, if I could speak to you for a moment, if you're looking at the outward appearance of a girl, you're missing what matters, especially as a Christian. Look at the way she loves God and serves him. That's biblical beauty. Biblical beauty is modesty clothed in good works. 
Let's move on to the more challenging parts of this passage. Although those weren't necessarily easy, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 14. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, it's important for us to first note that Paul is speaking about gender roles in the church only. He's only speaking about inside the church here. Let's start off with highlighting some of the things that Paul is not saying. He's not saying a woman cannot be a business leader or a community leader or a government leader that is outside the realms of what Paul is speaking I will gladly vote if given the opportunity for a female presidential or gubernatorial candidate who loves God and follows him over a man any day, especially a man who doesn't follow God. I have, as I'm sure many of you have, worked under the leadership of highly intelligent and successful women in previous careers. Female leaders often drive the community around us to be better places to live. Paul is saying nothing here that limits a woman's role in any endeavor outside the church. There is nothing inherently less than in a woman compared to a man. Paul is not saying anything about the worth or ability of women, even in, any, in almost every other role inside the church. Genesis 1.27 says that God created humanity male and female as both in the image of God, equal in worth and in dignity. Here's what the Baptist faith and message says regarding the church. Now, this is the updated version of the 2000 uh, version of the Baptist faith and message. It's in your notes if you want to look at it as well. If you didn't get a copy, uh, feel free to grab one on your way out. This is what it says. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws exercising the gifts rights and privileges invested in them by his word and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its two scriptural offices are that of pastor, elder, overseer, that's one, and the other is deacon. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor, elder, overseer is limited to men as qualified by scripture. The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So this is Article 6 of the Baptist Faith and Message. And as you can tell, it has over 20 biblical references to back up these statements. What can we know from this document and from the Bible? Now, the Bible is our only authority. The Baptist faith and message does not have any authority necessarily over the church. It just helps us to systematize our theology, to help us to know what we believe and why we believe it 
but it changes from time to time, just as it has changed this year a little bit as we understand God's Word and the cultural issues that we face. The Bible doesn't change. It's always our only authority. So what do we believe as Southern Baptists about women's roles inside the church? Your first slide, your first note there is women should teach in the church. Women should teach in the church. Many of us have had faithful, sweet, intelligent, loving, and caring, wonderful Sunday school teachers who were women. And they taught us much of what we know and believe about the Bible and about God growing up in the church. Your faith today has been shaped by women. If you remember, Paul talked about Timothy, how he came from a family of faithful women, and his faith can be attributed to that. His faith was formed by his grandmother's and his mother's faith. Our faith probably has been encouraged and grown from women in our lives and in the church. Women should teach in the church. Women should also serve as deacons. The Baptist faith and message is it talks about the two scriptural offices, pastor and deacon. It doesn't limit, limit both of those roles to only men. It only limits the role of pastor to men, which is good because the Bible in the New Testament has women deacons serving in the early church. Women should serve as deacons in the church. Your next note, women should baptize others in the church. Because women are such an important part of the faith development of new and young believers, it's only appropriate that they serve and, and play a role in the uh, baptism of new believers. Women also lead worship. Women pray in our worship services. Women from time to time even speak from up here and encourage us in our faith. And you've seen that modeled. Uh, Michelle Creek was up here speaking uh, last year, a year before. Ada has been up here. We've had women up here to speak and encourage us. And from time to time, that's appropriate. So what is Paul saying a woman cannot do or should not do? He's saying two things when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority of a man. Paul is saying... A woman should not serve as the senior pastor or the regular teaching pastor of a church. Now, the Baptist faith and message supports this by saying that it's two scriptural offices, or that of the pastor, elder, overseer, that's one again, and the deacon. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the role of pastor, elder, or overseer is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. Again, this is not because there is anything less than in a woman. Why would Paul say this? Now, you may have heard of all types of reasons why Paul says this to Timothy. And he says, um, or you may have heard that he said that this has something to do with women being false teachers in the early church. We have all kinds of historical records of false teachers in the church and mostly, if not always, it's men who are false teachers in the early church. So it's not that women are false teachers in the early church. You might have heard that Ephesus was a beacon for feminism in the early church era. There's not much evidence of that as well, and you might have also heard that this was just a temporary restriction to this area, and we'll discuss in a moment why that's not the case. 
Uh, I've heard all these things, and you probably have too, but that's not why Paul says this. Paul tells us why he says this there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Paul says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. This has nothing to do with ability or worth of women. It has nothing to do with culture. It has nothing to do with trends. This has everything to do with the created order of things by our Creator, God. Here's what Genesis says in Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God made Adam first. Throughout the Bible, the first created is the one who has authority. The firstborn is the one who has the birthright. And even though Adam was made first, he needed help, the Bible tells us. He needed someone's help. This is what Genesis 2, 18 through 22 says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Not now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God had a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Eve was created to help Adam, and she was a help for Adam. It was not good that Adam was alone. It was good that Eve was there with him. Adam and Eve were not alone in the garden also, uh, we've discussed this in our Wednesday night class about the invisible creation. In the garden, God lived and worked with Adam and Eve. He had a host of heavenly beings with him uh, in the Garden of Eden. As you can imagine, as God as king, as you understand him as king, you know that kings have an entourage. They have people with them. They have servants and so we would understand that God would have this, and he would have heavenly created beings serving him in the garden as he lived and worked with Adam and Eve. And, and at least one of them rebelled and tempted Eve. Here's what we have in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is such an important passage 
to the story of the Bible, and I am really excited to cover it in greater detail at, first, at the first of the year as we study through Genesis together. But I want you to see here that the serpent, who later we find out in Revelation is Satan, is tempting Eve with knowledge she isn't supposed to have. The serpent says that when you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. It's tempting to change our situation or status in life, and Eve was tempted to be like God. Don't we all want to be like God without the actual work of living godly lives? This isn't just an Eve issue. It's an everybody issue. Genesis 3.6 continues, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve was deceived by the serpent. She was tempted to eat, and she ate. She saw the tree, that its fruit was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. She also understood that it was going to make her wise. It was going to make her like God. She took the fruit and ate. Adam didn't stop her. Adam was right there with her. He passively let Eve fall into the trap of the serpent that he had set out for her. Adam did nothing. Actually, Adam did worse than nothing. He ate the fruit also. Sin takes over. The created order turns into chaos. Death soon comes. Jealousy and murder follow. Unspeakable pain enters God's perfect creation in the garden. The desire inside Eve caused her to disobey her creator. Paul wants the church to reflect the created order of things when it comes to the role of senior pastor and teaching pastor. This is why Paul says what he says in, in 1 Timothy. This isn't a call for the, or any other organization other than the church. The church should stand differently than the rest of the world. This is why the Bible reserves senior pastors and teacher past, teaching pastors for qualified Not just any man. It's not for a guy because he's a guy. It's for qualified men. And We'll look more at that next week as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We know that this setup Paul is laying out is to reflect the created order of things because he says something weird next. When there's something weird in the Bible, it's there for a reason. It's not just that the Bible doesn't know how to write. There's something weird here next. Let's look at verse 15 of chapter 2. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is weird, isn't it? She will be saved through childbearing. This doesn't sound like the other thing Paul said to the same church. In Ephesians, he writes, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So which is it? Are we saved by grace or by childbearing? Childbearing sounds like work. Now, 
I was there when my daughters were born, and I often joke about how hard my wife squeezed my hand through that process, but I can't speak to the work that she put in in delivering our children. Works don't save us. Childbearing in itself doesn't save us. It doesn't save women. Paul knows this, so why is he saying this in 1 Timothy? Paul is saying that women, along with men, are saved by repenting and submitting to God's reign in our lives. Men cannot bear children. Women are the ones who bear children. And not all women bear children, just as not all men become senior pastors or teaching pastors. There are differences in our genders. There is a created order. Kent Hughes writes about verse 15 in his Preach the Word commentary over First and Second Timothy and Titus. He says this, This is about living out the creation order that comes from the character of God, God's goodness. There is goodness to being female that isn't found in being male. There is goodness in being male that isn't found in being female. There are two different goodnesses here. And in a properly ordered creation order, the, the, these goodnesses cannot be compared it's much like comparing apples and oranges. They're both good. In your notes, be satisfied in God's design. It's good. Be satisfied in God's design. This is for all of us. Be satisfied in the way God designed his creation. Be content with the way God made you when he formed you in your mother's womb. Recognize that God is the creator and he made you either male or female. Each one are good. You are made in the image of God. Hughes continues saying, Our satisfaction in God's design is about the gospel and about, its, and about our mission as Christians living gospel-centered, godly lives. He says this, Paul believed that the church joyfully lived out the creation order in God's household, in the church. The gospel would continue to go out with power. Many of us have been told lies about who we are and what gives us our identity. Many of us have listened to those lies. And we've grown discontent in the way that we were made. Many of us believe if we were created differently, life would be better somehow. As we continue in our series on 1 Timothy and gospel-centered godliness, we are going to quickly, we're quickly approaching the main point of this book. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and we'll be there in a few weeks. It says this, You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We have the Bible so that those who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior can know how we should live out our faith in the church and in the community. We are the church, a pillar and buttress of the truth of, to God's creation, both to the saved and to the not saved. Those lies that we believe about ourselves, our identity, our purpose, our happiness, 
those lies are meant to keep you from living gospel-centered, godly lifestyles. What are you believing this morning? What are you believing about yourself this morning? Lies or the truth that's found in God's Word? Are you believing that you're less than somehow? Are you believing that you would be happier if you were someone or something else? Are you believing that you deserve to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want? We all live under the authority of our Maker. He has created an order of things, and He has plans for you. Those are good. Follow Him. It begins with following Jesus. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. I have mentioned Romans 6.23 many times in this sermon series. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Jesus, you will die. And this is not just a death that happens at the end of our life. We all have that. But in this death, apart from Jesus, you will be separated from all that is good, all that is loving, forever. This is the death that sin brings, separation from God and goodness. But God gives you grace in the free gift of Jesus. In Jesus, you will have life, even after your death here on this world. Life everlasting awaits those who follow Jesus and make him the Lord and center of their life. Will you follow Jesus today? Will you submit to his authority over your life? We're going to sing in just a moment a song of invitation. If you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus or how to live like you're following Jesus, this is a time for you. It's time to come forward and pray or speak with me. I'm also available to discuss these matters throughout the week. Just don't put this off. Are you following Jesus? Does your life look like it? Would you stand as we pray? God, you are good. We recognize that you are creator and you have created an order of things that is good. You have created, created us male and female, both in your image, and it was good. Thank you for your goodness, for creating us the way you have. Lord, I trust that we would continue to look to you to live out our lives as the church and follow the created order of things that give you glory, give you honor, and let the world outside these walls know that we are different because we serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.